Hello again, boxing fans. Welcome to episode number 138 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. We got a loaded, loaded episode this week because, of course, we have the event of the year coming up this week. More about that later on. Before we get into news and notes, guys, I want to remind you to do a favor for me. And I've kind of been doing that a little different every week, little homework assignments for you guys, the fee that I'm charging you for this podcast. I don't charge a monetary fee for this podcast. I do it every week. It's every Monday, rain, snow, or shine. You guys can depend on me. Whether the schedule is light or heavy, we're always going to be here. The fee that I charge, well, this week what I want you guys to do is I want you to get one of your friends at least to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Notice, I did not say it had to be a boxing fan. I don't care if they're a casual sports fan. I don't care if they can't stand boxing. If you can ask one of your friends as a favor to you, as a favor to me, the fee for this podcast, episode number 138, to go to Montero Unboxing's YouTube channel and subscribe. I want to bump up the subscribership this week. I want to see if we can get a bump as a head into Las Vegas for the big, big fight. So that is the homework assignment or the fee, whatever you want to call it, that I am asking you guys for for this particular episode of The Neutral Corner. Get one of your friends, whether they're a boxing fan or not, as a favor to you, for a favor for me, <laughs> to subscribe to the YouTube channel, guys. That's what I'm asking for. For those of you who can contribute monetarily and would like to, these trips to Vegas, they ain't free. Please go to patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing and help out any way that you can. If you want to spread the word about the Montero Unboxing brand and you want to pick up a t-shirt, let us know. Ladies, we got female t-shirts as well. So email me, MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. Other than that, guys, my fee every week is spread the word about what we're doing here on Apple Podcasts, find us, subscribe, on uh, Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, follow me on Twitter, follow the Montero Unboxing Facebook page, find me on Instagram. And you know, I do a little bit different on every platform, right? So iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, that is just the audio version of TNC. Occasionally, I will post some other stuff on there, like last week I posted my Canelo Triple G2 prediction and breakdown uh, right there on those platforms, just as the audio version. On YouTube, I do all kinds of different videos. Right now, as I'm going through the process of, of you know relocating and figuring all that out, it's mostly just rant videos and the neutral corner videos. But you guys who have been following me for a while, you know I do all sorts of stuff. And recently, I took a trip down to New Orleans while I was down there covering a fight. I did some interviews with promoter Lou DiBella. You guys have seen that kind of stuff on my channel. So we do all kinds of stuff there. But if you follow me on social media, I post some trolling, fun kind of stuff on Facebook, and I post all kinds of wacky photos and a lot of photos of my personal life. I like to share that with you guys on Instagram. I troll and joke and kid a lot on Twitter. So if you follow me on different platforms, you'll get little different flavors of what I give you guys. So anyway, that is it, guys. That is the fee for this week. Let's get into news and notes. All right, before I get started, just want to let you guys know, um, if I haven't made it obvious yet, I got in. I got my credential for Canelo Golovkin too. So uh, the establishment of boxing has not kicked me out quite yet. 
At least the promoters have it. So I do have my press credential and uh, Tiff and I are heading out to Las Vegas Thursday. So those of you who are in town, uh, we'll be there. And we'll be there through uh, the whole weekend. So we'll be there through Monday. So if you guys are there, you want to meet up, you want to have a beer, um, whatever, man. Just get at me, find me, and uh, you'll see me around. I'm hard to miss. I'm six foot four, and I'm handsome as a motherfucker, so you can't miss me. <laughs> and I'm walking around with a cute little Asian chick. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to miss. Anyway, find me there in Vegas. One thing I want to try to do this week, and I'm going to try as hard as I can to do it, I'm thinking about doing a live uh, post-fight immediate reaction right after the event, right after the post-fight press conference from the media center at the MGM Grand. If I can make that happen, I will do that. So it might be late on the East Coast, guys. It might be, you know, midnight. Hell, it'll be way after midnight. What am I saying? It might be one or two in the morning here on the East Coast. But for those of you on the West Coast and other parts of the world, the timing might work out perfect for you guys where I will try to do a live immediate reaction, you know, post-fight thoughts and all that stuff right there from the media center at the MGM Grand. I'd like to show you guys how all that looks and give you a little more behind the scenes kind of stuff. So if I can make that happen this Saturday night, I will. Anyway, news and notes. All right, let's start with PBC, man. PBC has had a really good couple weeks. I talked last week about the Showtime deal. And at the time I was recording episode 137, the news of Fox, uh, the Fox deal, it had dropped, but details weren't out yet, so I didn't yet talk about it. So now here's so, some of those details. Four-year deal with Fox, and you guys gotta remember, it's not just Fox. Fox has multiple platforms. They have Fox Sports One, they have Fox Deportes, uh, they have social media platforms. So this is very, very similar in, in that respect to, to what Top Rank is doing with ESPN because you have all these different platforms, right? It's not just one network and that's the genius of this deal. It's not a time buy. This is actually Fox paying them and apparently there's a $50 million budget to do these cards. So this is what, in my opinion, PBC should have done from the beginning. But look, they did what they did. They threw spaghetti at the wall. They learned from a lot of mistakes, obviously, and they kept some contacts going, and they made this deal. And now they got the premium network, uh, premium cable network deal with Showtime, and they got the regular network deal with Fox. So what does this mean? This means there's gonna be uh, different levels of fights on different platforms. Obviously, you're gonna get the prospects in lower tier guys fighting on Fox Sports 1. You're gonna have guys coming up on Showbox, on Showtime, it just depends on what time of the year it is, what kind of budget is involved, what venue is involved. Is it a casino that's putting up site fee, that's you know paying money? Well, then maybe they could do the card on Fox Sports 1. If it's at a different type of venue where they don't have that site fee, they don't have money up front, well, maybe they go over to Showbox so they get a little bit more money. Either way, uh, this is a really, really good thing for Premier Boxing Champions. And if you're a fan of that platform, you should be really, really happy right now. 10 cards a year on Fox. And these are gonna be prime time cards as far as I understand it. Uh, Fox Sports One, Fox Deportes, 12 cards a year. And there will also be pay-per-view fights. So this is something that I don't think some of you are quite understanding about the deal. Apparently there's going to be Fox pay-per-view. I don't know how that's gonna work. So it's not, I don't know if it's gonna be produced by Showtime or anything, but, but that wouldn't make sense because Showtime I think is, uh, the parent company is CBS, I believe, off the top of my head here. So uh, Fox is a different platform. 
So I don't know exactly how that would work. I think, but apparently from the things I've read, there will be pay-per-view events on Fox. So I, I'm not sure quite how that's going to look, but you're going to start getting more PBC pay-per-views now. You're going to get a couple of those a year. And that was always the long game. Boxing is always going to go to pay-per-view. The pay-per-view model is changing and the way that they build things up now is changing, I think for the better, but the long game is always pay-per-view. And that Fox, or I'm sorry, Fox, uh, PBC, that's always what they wanted here. That was always in the long run for those big, big fights, those big showdowns. And we eventually get Errol Spence and Keith Thurman to fight. That's obviously going to be a pay-per-view. You know what I'm saying? So that's going to happen down the road. Very smart plan from PBC. Like I said before, sort of mirrors what Top Rank is doing with ESPN. Not exactly the same, but similar. And I think that it's a good thing that you're getting boxing on all these different networks and, all, and back on regular quote-unquote TV. But it's also possibly a bad thing because you're getting different entities on different platforms. And who knows if they're going to play nice. PBC now is Fox and Showtime. Top rank is ESPN. Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, is on Sky, but he's also DAZN. So if you're in the UK, you got Sky, cool. If you're outside the UK, if you're in America especially, you can watch those cards on DAZN or DAZN, however the hell you say it. I guess Golden Boy is HBO slash Facebook slash ESPN. So everyone's kind of in their own little corner of the universe. And, and HBO is not even a major player anymore. I don't even really consider them a top player. The three major players right now are Showtime, Fox, and ESPN in the United States. Those are the three major players. HBO is not even a part of the equation hardly anymore. So big, big thing for PBC. Um, let's see, more signings. Oleksandr Usyk, the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. I think the most cruiserweight or the most... Uh, accomplished cruiserweight ever already and top five pound for pound boxer in the world i feel signs a multi-fight deal with matchroom he's still represented by k2 as well so it's kind of a joint promotional thing so it's k2 and matchroom but his very next fight is supposed to be on sky sports so that's coming from the matchroom side obviously and this all lines up perfectly for the fight that Usyk called out after he won the World Boxing Super Series tournament. He said he wanted Tony Bellew next. Well, gee, do you think maybe his people had already been talking to Eddie Hearn way back then? <laughs> no shit, right? They've probably been talking about this deal for months and months and months before it was announced. So they announce it now. Obviously, they want that fight with Tony Bellew next. And down the line, Usyk has talked about how he wants to move up to heavyweight, the premier heavyweight right now, Anthony Joshua one of the biggest brands in the sport, probably the biggest brand in the sport in, in terms of putting butts in seats. I don't even think that's a probably, it's a matter of fact that it is AJ. So for Usyk to line all this up, very, very smart business. Now, there's a little issue there, okay? Because apparently the WBA has ordered Usyk to fight a mandatory Dennis Lebedev. Remember him? So. The WBA apparently made Dennis Lebedev the WBA champion in recess, even though he was beat by, or actually he lost his IBF title to Murat Gassiev in 2016. Somehow he's the champion in recess. They elevated Junior Dorticos to the full WBA champion. Gassiev beats him, 
Usyk beats Gassiev. Now he's got the WBA title. And somehow Lebedev, even though, again, I, to- I talked about how he lost to Gassiev in 2016, he only fought once in 2017 against Mark Flanagan for the WBA title. If you don't know who Mark Flanagan is, don't feel bad. Nobody else does. And then he fought once in 2018, last Friday, against Hisni Altunkaya. Altunkaya. And he weighed 212 pounds for that fight. It was a heavyweight fight. And that was last Friday. Yet, the WBA may force Usyk to fight Lebedev next. Try to make sense of that shit. That is what the WBA does. They're idiots. And almost every move they make is bad for boxing. As much as I bash the other sanctioning organizations, some of the things the WBC does, even at the amateur level, because they... They contribute a lot to amateur boxing around the country as well, in the United States and Mexico. Uh, A lot of the stuff they do for boxing is good. And the WBA gets some things right as well. But man, most of the moves the WBA makes are just bad for boxing. I'm not saying Usyk Bellew is a great, great pay-per-view worthy matchup that, you know, Bellew's not deserving of that fight. He hasn't done a damn thing to deserve a fight against the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. He hasn't even fought in that division for a while. But he's a big name. He represents a brand-building opportunity for Usyk. And Usyk represents a career-defining victory opportunity for Bellew. And that is a huge fight that moves the needle in London, where guess what? London is the location where Usyk won his gold medal in the 2012 Olympics. He won a gold in the 2008 European Championships in Liverpool. So he would love to continue to build his brand over there. It makes so much damn sense. It's going to make a lot of dollars because it makes so much sense. Yet, the WBA might just have to screw it up. That uh, just So anyway, even if Usyk has to fight Lebedev, obviously he beats him. And then we finally get the fight between Usyk and Bellew next year. I rather like that matchup. I think Usyk's going to win big, but I understand it from a brand-building perspective. Guys, Usyk doesn't even have 20 fights in his career. So this makes total sense to take that, that, that type of matchup. And then he can work his way possibly toward an Anthony Joshua showdown down the road. Maybe in between, he fights the winner of the World Boxing Super Series Season 2 Cruiserweight Tournament. That would be pretty great. Let's see what else is in the news. Talking about more signings here, man. Terrence Crawford uh, extends his deal with Top Rank, a multi-year deal. Top Rank doesn't really announce too many details about their deals. They're pretty secretive. They'll give you uh, some of the X's and O's, but they're not giving you the fine print, right? So multi-year deal with Terrence Crawford. He's going to, I'm not going to say he's going to retire with Top Rank, but he will fight through his prime years at his best as a boxer, as a professional athlete, under the top-ranked banner. He is there to stay. Regis Progray, Terry Flanagan, fighting in New Orleans, October 27th. That's going to open up uh, Season 2 of the World Boxing Super Series. Well, actually, a week before that, the Rodriguez-Maloney-Bantamweight fight and also Dortikos-Masternek-Cruiserweight fight that's going to open up the Season 2 World Boxing Super Series October 20th in Orlando. So in back-to-back weeks, we're getting World Boxing Super Series fights here in the States. And for those of you uh, here in the United States who want to watch that stuff, order the zone. You get to watch these fights. But I love, absolutely love, love, love that Lou DiBella and the people that 
are in charge of Regis Progray's career are bringing him right back to New Orleans where he last fought. It's a smart move. They're bringing him back to the exact same venue, which came very, very cheap, uh, very easy to get to. Parking was easy. Everything was easy. They scaled it down to, I think, I don't know, four or 5,000. And they had at least a few thousand in there for Progray uh, earlier this, this summer. And I think they, they might double that this time because there was a real buzz in the city talking about him. And, and then in the, in the arena that night, there was a real buzz. So now he's fighting this British fighter. And so you're going to get some UK fans coming over. Obviously, that's going to make for a fun atmosphere. But dude just fought there a few months ago. He put on a show. He scored a knockout. It was very entertaining. This is how you build brands. I love this. And I might have to travel down there to cover that fight again. I might have to travel down there, man. Uh, I, I had a good time. Tiffany and I had a great time in New Orleans. Great food in that damn city. Every meal we had down there was great. And I don't say that lightly because I'm a harsh food critic. Also World Boxing Super Series, November 3rd, the Taylor Martin 140-pound fight in Burnett Donaire, 118-pound fight in Glasgow, Scotland. That makes a lot of sense. You got a Scottish guy, you got a, an Irish guy. Why not put that, fight, that card on there? It's another doubleheader. It's in the right venue. I think that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And if you are subscribing to The Zone, or if you subscribe to it starting next month in October, at the very end of the month, well, guess what? Three weeks in a row, you're getting high-quality boxing cards from uh, two different continents, you know, two different parts of the world. But I just, guys, I just named, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five high-caliber fights that you're getting within three weeks. So that's awesome, man. That's worth the price of admission right there, or price of subscription, I should say, if you subscribe to the zone. All right, some more news. Advendil had and Avtendil Kurtzize. I always had trouble with his first name. This, the last name is easy, Kurtzize. Sentenced for 10 years in prison for his role as an enforcer in a little crime group there in New York City. I'm not sure how many years he was involved with this group and exactly the details of some of the things he did, but he must have did some really nasty, gory, brutal shit because they must have just had details. They must have had witness testimony talk about some of the actual physical things Kurt Seize had done to people under uh, this group's uh, reign because 10 year sentence as an enforcer, that's a long sentence, man. That is a really long sentence. Not only that, the first two years that he gets released, he will be under supervision. So it's, it's kind of a 12-year sentence in all honesty. So he must have been, he wasn't just a low-level guy. He was heavily involved with these people and must have did some nasty shit. He must have hung somebody upside down by their toes or, you know, took a blowtorch to somebody's balls to get money. I don't know what he did, but it was bad enough for a judge to, th to throw 10 years at him. That's crazy, man. Last thing, guys, Manny Pacquiao threatening to sue top rank. I'm sure you guys have seen it on Twitter, Instagram. I think it came from Instagram, from Pacquiao's Instagram, where he's claiming that he has not been paid for his portion of the United States streaming rights for the Matisse fight a few months back. Actually, it's the same night as the Progray's last fight. So top rank handled the streaming on ESPN Plus for that fight here in the United States. 
Manny Pacquiao, his group promoted it over there. But I think top rank promoted, helped put on some of the undercard fights, supplied some of the fighters and helped put that together. And as I understood it, they handled and controlled the streaming rights on ESPN Plus here in America. But Manny Pacquiao is claiming that he's supposed to get a portion of that and that he hasn't gotten paid yet. So he sends this uh, Instagram post out there saying, I'm going to sue and I'm seeking legal, legal action, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, Manny Pacquiao didn't write that message. It probably came from Kant's or one of those guys. Pacquiao has about, I was going to say 100, but it's way more than 100. People in his ear constantly saying things, pulling him in different directions. He's not the smartest guy on earth. And I'm not saying that as a put down. It's just, just a reality check, guys. I'm, I was a huge Pacquiao fan. During his pinnacle in the sport, there was nobody like him. And he was the most exciting guy. He climbed to higher heights when you consider his humble beginnings. He climbed to higher heights at his peak and did more for the sport of boxing globally, especially for a whole region of the world that had not been heavily involved in boxing prior to him, at least not in a big, big way as they are now. He did that more than anybody in my lifetime that I can think of. When Bob Arum would, Bob Arum compares everybody to Muhammad Ali. He, I mean, everybody. But when he made comparisons of Pacquiao to Ali, there are some very, very, uh, very logical parallels between the two of them. There was some Ali in Pacquiao, the way he influenced and changed the game. And now uh, Filipino boxers and just boxers from Asia now are on the map, not just over there, but Asian Americans, Filipino Americans especially. There are more and more be getting involved in boxing. And uh, Pacquiao is just, is, he's this global, global brand. So guys, I'm not putting him down. But he's always, always surrounded by drama. He's got way too many hangers on that are always whispering things in his ear and giving him ideas and telling him to do this and do that. And he's pulled in 50 different directions all the time. Why am I saying this? Because I just, I don't think anything's gonna come of this. The people at top rank are not stupid. They've been doing this for a long time. And Grandpa Bob is in his mid to late 80s, but he is still sharp as hell and still doing his thing. And they are lined up they're doing innovative 21st century kind of shit at top rank right now that other promoters uh, aren't necessarily doing. They're catching up. They're catching up. Don't get me wrong. But these guys know what they're doing. And the thing, too, about top rank, they have real boxing people, but they also have people that specialize in law. These people have law backgrounds, law degrees. They know what they're talking about when it comes to any legality, you know, any legal kind of stuff. So to think that Pacquiao... And whoever's been whispering in his ear about this crap is going to sue and win against top rank is absolutely ridiculous. Nothing will come from this. Top rank will pay the money, whatever apparently uh, he owes them. But it's, it's obvious that the once beautiful, beautiful, blissful marriage between Manny Pacquiao, Bob Arum, and Freddie Roach is gone. It's just gone. It's over. Freddie is long slowed down. Aram has got younger guys that he's trying to build up to take over that mantle. And I don't think any of them are going to be Pacquiao. Vasily Lomachenko, Terrence Crawford, these guys will not be Manny Pacquiao. There's only one Manny Pacquiao, and that, you know, that ship has sailed. 
Pacquiao still got that big ego, and, and he's holding on to yesteryears, and he's got all these hangers on that are constantly, hey, man, hey, champ, hey, champ, what about this? Hey, champ, let's try that, right? Because they want to keep the gravy train rolling too. It's years past its due date. That train is, is I don't know how it's still on the damn tracks because the alignment's off, you know, everything's all over the place. It's, it's sliding and all over the tracks and everything, but people are trying to keep that train rolling. But Aram and the business of boxing are moving on. And Freddie Roach, you know, he, he's moving on too. He's in a different stage of his life. So Pacquiao's, you know, the marriage is over, but obviously Manny's going to keep fighting. Obviously top rank is going to have a piece of this dude until he's in the grave. It is what it is. This lawsuit, nothing's going to come of it, guys. All right, we got a lot to review, so let's get into what took place around the world in the ring last week. Last Friday, September 7th, in Chelyabinsk, Russia. Hope I got that close to right. Lightweight prospect, prospect Zayur Abduliev scored a unanimous decision win in a 12-rounder against Cameron Hank Lundy out of Philly. He improves to 10-0. This was the first defense of his WBC Silver lightweight title. And also on that card, I, I talked about it uh, earlier in the episode, Dennis Lebedev fought a cab driver uh, in a heavyweight fight, yet still the WBA is mandating Alexander Usyk fight him next at cruiserweight. Makes no sense, but whatever. Saturday, September 8th, we had a lot of action all around the world. In Australia, Superfly prospect Andrew Maloney scores a TKO 10 win over Luis Concepcion from Panama, defends a minor title. He is now 18-0 with 11 knockouts. His twin brother, Jason Maloney, who is 17-0 with 14 knockouts, fights as a bantamweight. He's fighting in Orlando. I was telling you guys about that um, in October 20th in the opener for the Bantamweight uh, World Boxing Super Series Tournament. So uh, that will be his first fight outside of Australia. He's fighting against Puerto Rican fighter Emmanuel Rodriguez. But uh, Andrew Maloney is a super flyweight fighter right now. And of course, uh, I bring that fight up because it's relevant because we had a big super flyweight card last Saturday. I'll talk about that in just a second. In Zagreb, Croatia, Filip Herzkovic, Hope I got that close to correct. Uh, fought in the 2016 Olympics. Lost to Tony Yoka in, in the semis. I, I believe Tony Yoka beat him a few times in the amateurs. Anyway, he scores a KO3 win over American Amir Mansour. Win, uh, wins a vacant minor title. He's now 6-0 with five knockouts. So I watched this fight. Uh, someone sent me a highlights package. Mansour took a knee after a left hook in the third round. It was a good, solid left hook. He immediately took a knee. Uh, but he got dropped, I think, from a right hand and was counted out. But to me, it looked like a punch in the back of the head. It looked like um, Herzkovich overwhelmed him with activity. He had Mansoor busted up. It was just teeing off. But Mansoor was punching back and did not look concussed or anything. He didn't really look in bad shape. And it was actually a punch to the back of the head that dropped him. Mansoor looked like he had his wits about him and everything. He was on his knees. He didn't follow his butt or anything. It just fell down to a knee. And he kind of looked at the ref and shook his head, and, and the ref counted to 10, and that was it. It just looked like Mansoor kind of wanted out. He was overwhelmed by the activity. He didn't want anymore. So Herzkovich, big heavyweight guy, almost a knockout in almost all of his professional fights, right? 
People get excited about heavyweights. But, um, you know, look, he does have some tools. He's tall, long arms, kind of an awkward, interesting style. But his punches are really, really wide, and I see zero head movement. Now, maybe he was just teeing off on Mansoor because he wasn't getting a whole lot back. I did notice when Mansoor loaded up on punches, Herskovich did a good job of uh, using his feet to get out of range and just using his length. When you're a tall guy and you got crazy long arms, you don't always have to move your head. Sometimes you could just take a step back. But when you got a really, really good fighter that you're fighting and they know how to take two or three steps forward, they know how to, how to do like a jump step, you can't just step backward. You do have to move your head. You do have to pivot to the side. Uh, you do have to bend at the waist, even as a heavyweight, even as a tall guy with long arms. So, so there are a lot of things that this guy needs to work on, really rough around the edges, but there's some tools there. So we might have something to look at here. We got to see him against some more guys, particularly guys that won't be punching up at him and guys who aren't way, way older than him. Let's go over to Birmingham, UK, where there was a matchroom card on Sky. And in the main event, Amir Khan wins a unanimous decision in 12 rounds over Samuel Vargas. The second round of this fight <clears throat> was, was pretty damn interesting, pretty entertaining. One of the rounds of the year, honestly. He dropped uh, Vargas pretty hard, and it looked like Vargas was in really bad shape. But Vargas weathered the storm, got his legs back, and kept punching. Guys, in boxing, when all else fails, just freaking punch. That's really all, that's all Vargas did. And that was enough to catch Khan and put him down at the end of the second round. Now, in the very next round, in the third, Khan scored another knockdown. He knocked Vargas down, but to me, it looked like a push. And I think the ref missed, you know, missed that call, messed it up. Either way, Khan dominated this fight from start to finish. Vargas had moments, but you could see Khan just, you know, just on another level, just a, a much, much better athlete, longer, throws the straighter punches, more powerful punches. Hand speed difference was very apparent right away. It's target practice for Khan. The second round, and I tweeted this, it, it was just a microcosm of Amir Khan's career because he had these flashes of offensive brilliance. He looked amazing. And then all of a sudden, he got lazy for a minute and just stopped moving his head and moved straight back and left his chin up in the air while throwing combos. He got timed and got dropped. And if Vargas could punch through a wet paper bag, Khan might still be down right now. It might still be on the same damn canvas. So that's just a microcosm of the guy's career. He's just an incomplete fighter. He has certain tools that are almost breathtaking to watch at times. But the thing with Khan, he throws fast as hell, but he doesn't really change up speed and he doesn't really change up angles and he keeps his head in the middle. He doesn't get his head out of the line. So he can be timed and he can be set up for big power shots, especially overhand rights. It's just kind of been his kryptonite his whole career. Anyway, he wins. He was supposed to win and he wants Manny Pacquiao next. Now, I told you guys last week, Pacquiao has been talking to Matchroom, and Pacquiao, the marriage with top rank there, not going so well. I'm not saying that he's going to leave top rank 100%. I don't know if that can work, you know, contractually, legally, but maybe Matchroom gets uh, the lion's share, and, and top rank still has some points there. You know, they, get, they keep a piece of them. I don't know how that's all going to work out, but I think a fight between Manny Pacquiao and Amir Khan is a very real possibility. 
That is a fight Khan has had a hard on for for years. And a lot of Amir Khan's fans have too. You guys just might get it. You might get it, man. Also on this card, Jason Wellborn scores a split decision over Tommy Langford in their rematch. Drop Langford in the first and the third. <clears throat> he had a cut above the light, uh, left eye, uh, Langford did. So a hard-fought victory. Uh, Langford probably won more rounds, but getting dropped like that twice, that changed the fight, you know, and Wellborn wins the split decision. The shocker on this card was Sam Eggington lost in a TKO2 uh, lost to Tanzanian fighter Hassan Mawatkino. Mawatkino. That, no one saw that coming. Everyone thought this was going to be a layup for Eggington. Hey, man, in boxing, you never know. And some of these guys coming from different parts of the world, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know if you're getting a guy who's got a padded record or if you're getting a hard, just grinder who's coming in there to win, who uh, you're going to have to carry him out of the damn ring to beat him. Sometimes these guys come in so determined and they score these upsets, and that's what's fun about boxing. We don't see that as much in other sports. We just don't. Also on this card, Gamalia Fai and Lewis Ritson, two of the prospects, they both score a KO win, so they keep their thing rolling. All right, let's go to Superfly. Man, we had a lot of boxing last Saturday. The Forum in Inglewood, California. This was put on by Tom Loeffler, 360-K2-Triple-G slash slash Promotions. This is on regular HBO. And if you guys were flipping back and forth between this and the Showtime card, you heard and felt an immediate difference in atmosphere. The crowd presence, the buzz was almost just non-existent. And for me, a guy who's been to so many L.A. fights, who <clears throat> just went out there to cover the, you know, the Mikey Garcia card not too long ago, the Garcia Easter card, usually L.A. crowds are lit. They're the best crowds in America. The best crowd, they're better than Vegas crowds. It's diehard fans. It's guys, you know, it's families in there. And people who watch boxing every week. You know what I'm saying? It's those diehards. And it's usually just a great crowd. But this card lacked star, star power. It just lacked the same kind of buzz. The whole Clembuterol thing with Canelo and Golovkin, that really, really put a lot of hiccups in Tom Loeffler's whole plans. And they had to postpone a lot of things. Putting the Superfly 3 card together was tough for that reason. But also, oh, there goes my phone. I don't know who that is. Probably a telemarketer. You know what? I'm going to answer this right here on this episode of Neutral Corner. I'm going to mess with this telemarketer. Check it out. Pronto. Oh, Jesus. I hate those damn recordings. I cannot stand that shit. I wanted a live person. I was going to mess with them right here on this episode. Anyway, all right, tangent. Loeffler had a lot of issues to deal with, obviously, because of the whole issue with, uh, with Canelo and Golovkin, and then they were talking to Billy Joe Saunders, possibly. They had a backup plan and a backup plan for the backup plan. On top of all that, there were visa issues with fighters that were supposed to be on the Superfly 3 card. So there are all sorts, or there are medical issues, I should say. There are all sorts of issues. Considering what he put together, I, I think all in all, he did a very good job. And there are very few promoters who could have taken a steaming pile of shit and made it into a decent card. So the action in the Superfly fight, fights, this card, Superfly 3, 
wasn't quite as good as the previous ones. The matchups weren't as good, and as, as I said before, the star power was lacking. The buzz was totally lacking. But in the main event, Juan Francisco Estrada wins a unanimous decision over Felipe or Yakuta. All Mexican fight. It was fairly one-sided, but kind of dull. Kind of dull. The old man, Estrada, just looked bored. He looked like he didn't want to be there, like he was going through the motions. And some of that is just a poker face that a veteran fighter has. But the youngster, Oyakuta, this was his opportunity. He knew it. And so he just, the body language was he really was trying harder. But in actuality, Estrada knew what the hell he was doing. And, and why, uh, why show it on your face if you don't have to? I thought he just had a poker face on, and he was basically just a, a veteran, uh, experienced, skilled fighter, a craftsman doing his job. And he clearly won this fight decisively. So now what's next? It's either going to be a rematch with Rung Visai on Superfly 4, which will happen next March, probably in L.A. It's going to be on regular HBO. Could be Rung Visai. It could be Roman Gonzalez. If Chocolatito wins this week on the Canelo Triple G2 undercard, we could see Estrada and Chocolatito on, uh, on Superfly 4 next March. So this series is going to continue. HBO's on board. These are super cheap cards for HBO to produce, and they're desperate for fights. So th th this thing's coming back. Anyway, in the co-main, Don Indietes gets a split draw with Aston Calicte. This is an all-Filipino fight. The vacant WBO Superfly title stays vacant. These scores were really stupid. I'm sorry, but Nietes won this damn fight. Now, again, sometimes body language makes a difference. Sometimes people see a young guy looking vibrant with so much energy, and they think he's getting more done because the old man has more of a poker face on, and you saw some of that in this fight. But to me, Nietes just clearly won this damn fight. It was competitive. It was much more competitive. It was, in my opinion, more competitive than the main event. So I'm not saying like it was a blowout, 10 rounds to two or something, but I think eight rounds to four, maybe seven rounds to five, clearly for Nietes was the right score. That's what I saw. Let me know what you guys think. But Daniel Sandoval, a California judge, had a 118-110 for Nietes. So he did have a 10-2. Max DeLuca, another California judge, he had it even, 114-114. So I think for DeLuca, who usually does a good job, but for him to have that score, he gave every single swing round to Palikte. Every single swing round. That's the only way I think you could come up with an even score in this fight, because I think Nietes was clearly the winner. But Robert Hoyle somehow had it 116-112 for Aston Palikte. And that is just not what took place in the ring. And guys, no surprise here. Robert Hoyle is a Las Vegas judge. There is something wrong with the system in Las Vegas. There is something wrong with the system in Nevada. Adelaide Bird trains judges there. Think about that for a second. They do workshops and stuff like that with younger judges coming up, and she is one of the instructors. Think about that. There is something wrong with the system in Las Vegas. For Robert Hoyle, a Las Vegas-based judge, to make a eight rounds to four for Palikte's score, that is just 
insane. Punch numbers. Just look at the punch numbers. And you get this, 194 of 523 for 37%. 37% accuracy, That overall, that's damn good. When you're landing more than a third of your punches overall, you're doing damn good. Palikte, 124 of 830 for 15%. So this is a concept where one guy is much, much more active and one judge gets fooled just by a fighter being more active but not necessarily being effective with that activity. I bring this up because it's relevant to the Barclays Center main event. Similar but different. I'll talk about that in a second. But in this case, Palikte, yes, he threw 300 more punches than Nietes. But Nietes landed 70 more. That matters too. So activity matters when the other guy ain't doing nothing. But when the other guy is getting good work done and really doing better work than you, your activity don't mean shit. So Robert Hoyle, who is a veteran Las Vegas judge, should not be fooled by something like that. But he was. Again, ladies and gentlemen, there is a problem in Nevada. Las Vegas, we have a problem. Even though I'll be going there in a couple days. <laughs> All right, also on the super flag card, Japanese fighter Kazuto Ioka. His first fight at 115 pounds. This guy's been at 108, 112. He scores a unanimous decision win over McWilliams Arroyo. And to me, this was the performance of the night. Because you guys know, I think the Arroyo brothers are very good fighters, particularly McWilliams. He's a very good fighter. And he proved that on Superfly 2, and he's proved that in other fights in recent years. He's a quality fighter. Ayoka beat him uh, clearly in this fight, wins the WBC silver flyweight title off of Arroyo, dropped him in the third round, cut his left eye in the 10th round from a punch, not a headbutt. Great performance by Ioka, and he will be on Superfly 4. Tom Loeffler has already talked about that. He's, he, I know Tom wants to definitely get him back on there, so as long as that can work out, he will be back on Superfly 4, and guess what? He's earned that right. I thought this was the performance of the night. I thought he did a great job. All right, let's go across the country to Barclays Center in Brooklyn, where DiBella Entertainment, Samson Boxing, and TGB Promotions put together a card on Showtime. Let's talk about the heavyweight fight. Adam Kalnatsky. I hope I'm saying that right. I struggle with these Polish names. Adam Kalnatsky improved to 18-0 with 14 knockouts with the unanimous decision win over Charles Martin. Kalnatsky is 6'3", weighed in the 260s for this fight. He needs to be down in the 240s. And I couldn't help it when I was watching this fight and I'm not trying to body shame. I'm not trying to say every dude's got to have a six-pack. I'm not asking for that. But <laughs> Kalnatsky is the same body size, body style, same skin color, and same haircut as Andy Ruiz. One is Mexican, one is Polish. But those dudes look like they could be brothers. <laughs> they look like they could be a body double, like they could be a stunt double for each other. If one of them was an actor, the other dude could be a stunt double for him. For real, there were times where I forgot I was seeing Adam Kanatsky and it looked like I was watching Andy Ruiz. He, I'm telling you, same skin color, same haircut, same body. 
it, just the same small arms, big waist. It just it just was cracking me up. But anyway, Charles Martin surprisingly had his weight down. He was down in the mid 240s. That is where the Polish fighter needs to be. But I thought that Martin was going to show up in the 260s and lay an egg here and maybe get stopped. That's what I thought coming in. That's what a lot of you guys thought coming in. But guess what? He got his ass in shape. He took a lot of punishment, doled some out too. And his fight was sloppy. Um, a lot of the action was, you know, uh, I don't want to say lethargic. I don't know what the right word is. It was labored. It didn't, you know, these weren't crisp, straight punches. This was a lot of, you know, flailing and stuff, but it was good, solid heavyweight action from two top 25 or so heavyweights. And for uh, Kanachki, he admits that he's not ready for a title shot. This was a learning lesson for him. And he's on the way up, you know, and he should win a fight like this pretty decisively if he's going to be any sort of contender. I didn't see anything between these two guys that makes me think, um, you know, they're winning titles or anything like that, although Martin did win a title, but it was on a, a freak incident, freak accident is how that happened. Anyway, look, not everyone's going to be an elite level, A-level, top 10 fighter. You need fights like this. And sometimes when you get two of these top 25-ish guys in the ring together and they're actually willing to trade some leather and be entertaining, it's fun. And I thought this fight was going to steal the show. I told you guys it was going to be a fun heavyweight fight, and it was. So the Polish fighter goes on to 18-0, uh, and 0, and we'll see what's next for him. For Martin, look, his stock didn't drop. It was already pretty low to, to come into this fight. If anything, it maintained. It may have raised a little bit. Who doesn't want to see him back on? If he's going to make fights like this, bring him back on one of these cards. Why not? In the co-main, Jordinius Ugas improves to 23-3 with 11 knockouts, scores a unanimous deci decision win over Cesar Miguel Barrio Nuevo. This was a WBC semi-final welterweight elimination fight. Try to make sense of that shit. So apparently, Andre Berto is a semi-final mandatory as well. So there's two WBC mandatories for Sean Porter now. This, uh, your, your Dinius Ugas and Andre Berto. I don't know how the hell that makes sense. But according to the WBC... The winner of any vacant title must make back-to-back -back mandatory defenses. That's about the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. And this is boxing. I've heard a lot of dumb shit. So I don't know what that means for Sean Porter. But let's go over to the main event. So Sean Porter wins a unanimous decision over Danny Garcia. Wins the vacant WBC welterweight title. The scores were 115-113 twice, which I thought were good scores. And 116-112, which I thought was a bad score. Um, so now I, I don't know if Porter has to fight Ugas first or Berto first, but Errol Spence, who has the IBF title, jumped up in the ring and said that he wants a piece of Sean Porter next year. So maybe that means Sean Porter can take care of one of these mandatories at the end of this year and then fight Spence early next year. With all the money Fox is putting in and Showtime is putting in, I don't see why they couldn't make that happen. We will see. Anyway. Let's get to the fight. Porter Garcia. I told you guys last week I thought that Garcia had more levels. I thought that he was the better, more skilled boxer, and he fills gaps better, uh, and I picked him to win. And I thought that over the second half of the fight, his craft would show, and he would win. It's not what happened. I was wrong. You know, I, I admit it. Uh, Porter 
from the jump. This is something I just didn't consider enough when making my prediction. He looked way, way hungrier in this fight. Garcia just looked kind of lethargic at times. And like he just thought a few counter punches around was going to get him the nod. It just didn't seem like he had this hunger, this fire in his belly. And Porter wanted it, man. Every round, he looked more hungry. And he looked hungriest in the championship rounds. And that's where you should look the hungriest as a fighter. So Porter didn't do anything complicated. He just threw punches. Like I said earlier in this episode, when all else fails in boxing, just throw freaking punches. If you get your head out of the line and keep moving and bending and twisting and turning and throwing punches, some of that shit's going to land. And Porter intelligently didn't just dive in like he normally does and maul and grapple and, and try to hold. He dove in and went to the body. And to me, Garcia it just visibly didn't like that. Now, I didn't see Garcia looking for a way out or trying to quit. Like some people on Twitter were saying, that's absolutely ridiculous. I saw Garcia trying to win the fight. He just didn't match Porter's energy. He didn't, he didn't match the intensity in the energy. He just didn't do enough. And ultimately, he gave the fight away. I still think Danny Garcia is a better fighter than Sean Porter. I just do. He has more levels to him. But in this particular fight and at this stage of their careers, Porter just wanted the shit more. And sometimes that makes the difference. Porter threw, let's see, uh, almost 300 punches more. He threw 742 punches to Danny Garcia's 472. He only landed 12 more, though. He, he, was, he landed 24% of his punches overall. Garcia landed 35%. And that accuracy is why I had Garcia ahead about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine rounds in. I had Porter down just slightly uh, going into the championship rounds. But Porter got it done late. And he got it late done with activity. Now, I, I should tell you guys, that those of you following me on Twitter, you already know. Watching this fight live, I still edged it for Garcia. I had him winning by like a point. I thought that uh, he just built up a lead early on. There were a couple of swing rounds, could have went either way. I favored Garcia's accurate punching, and I thought his punches were having more effect. But in the second half of the fight, that dynamic flipped. And just on my card, Porter didn't do quite enough. But I have no issue with those of you who feel Porter won 115-113. I have no issue with him winning the fight at all. Again, I, th I think that Garcia gave it away. Here's why I favored Garcia in a lot of those swing rounds. Garcia landed 46% of his power punches. 46%. Porter only landed 25% of his power punches. And he was much more accurate punching to the body. Punching to the head, he landed something like 15% of his power punches. Which is what Porter does. He's just not an accurate puncher. But intelligently in this fight... And, you know, Garcia does leave his elbows open sometimes, and he's not very fleet of foot. Porter would get off to the body, and that's what increased his, his accuracy. You take away body punching, Porter landed about 15% of the, the power punches to the head, and he did not land very effective, or accurately, I should say, with the jab. The body work is what got it done. It made his punch numbers look better, and that was really the difference in this fight. 
Uh, Garcia had more levels, didn't use them. This to me was reminiscent of Canelo Alvarez when he fought Irislandi Lara. I was ringside for that fight. And there were a lot of people out there saying, Lara won, Lara won. And I was like, no, Canelo won that fight. You could make an argument if you scored it for Lara. I'm not mad at you. But Lara gave that fight away. All he had to do is sit down and throw 10, 15 more punches around, hold his ground a little bit more instead of backing up so much. And I should be clear about this. Lara backed up against Canelo way more than Garcia backed up against Porter. So it's not an exact comparison, guys. I'm just making the, the comparison that, to me, Lara gave that fight away against Canelo. He let Canelo outwork him, and Canelo got it done to the body, and that made the difference. And that's what I saw in this fight. Garcia gave the damn fight away, and Porter got it done to the body. That was the difference. So now, anyway, where do these guys go? Well, for Porter, I talked about he's got 5,000 mandatories with the WBC, but once that situation gets cleaned up, and they do favors for Al Heyman all the time, especially now they want some of that Fox money and Showtime money, they'll do what they got to do to hook Porter up. Porter Spence will happen. That will happen, but it's not going to happen this year. It's going to happen next spring. I hope early next spring and not late next spring, but it should, it should happen in the first quarter of 2019. And a lot of people are saying that Spence is just going to plow through Sean Porter. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Sean Porter is not Carlos Ocampo. He's very, very strong and very, very rugged. And he is going to give Spence a lot of problems. And he did some things against Danny Garcia that were new wrinkles for him. He's not going to get away with it the same way against Spence, but he is going to have moments. And I think that fight will be competitive early. But the biggest difference between Errol Spence and Danny Garcia is Garcia can't punch through a wet paper bag at welterweight. He could punch hard at 140, but not at welterweight. Spence can. Spence can punch through a damn brick wall at welterweight. Also, Spence has way faster feet, way faster hands. So because of those factors, I like Spence in that fight. I know about 99% of you guys do as well. But I actually do think it's going to be a more competitive fight than a lot of you guys believe. And I'm looking forward to it. Now for Danny Garcia, where does he go? He's still Danny Garcia. He's one of Uncle L's guys. He's going to be back. He's probably going to sit on his ass till next summer. But there's a million and one guys that could fight. Adrian Broner makes a ton of sense. Because Angel Garcia, Angel Garcia, Danny's father, his crazy daddy, him and Adrian Broner have at it guys just make some wwe shit happen those of you out there who love that kind of stuff you'll eat that up and you'll love that fight so there's a million options for garcia he'll be fine uncle al has has all the damn welterweight so he's going to be good to go all right guys that is it we got a lot to preview a lot of boxing this week so let's get that going Tuesday, September 11th in Tokyo, Japan, Takuma Inoue. You guys might know another Inoue fighter, Naoya Inoue, in a, super, in a certain uh, World Boxing Super Series tournament. Well, this is Takuma Inoue. And he's fighting a Filipino-born Japanese fighter, Mark John Yap. Yap, again, born in the Fil Philippines, is a Filipino person, but he lives and fights out of Japan. So uh, this should be a fun matchup. I think that's, if you guys can catch that one, it'll be worth it. Thursday, September 13th, Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2. 
Pablo Cesar Cano, a fighter out of Mexico, has fought several good fighters. He's been in there with a lot of guys, experienced fighter, fighting a Kazakhstan fighter, now based in Big Bear, California, Ruslan Madiev, who's 12 and 0. This will be a 10 rounder at 140 pounds. That's the main event. And of course, that's whetting the appetite for all the boxing coming up later in the weekend. Friday, September 14th, you got top rank on ESPN. Jose Carlos Ramirez is defending his WBC 140 pound title for the first time against Antonio Orozco. So Ramirez is 22-0 with 16 knockouts. Orozco is 27-0 with 17 knockouts. San Diego fighter. So both these guys are California fighters. I think it's going to be a fun matchup. That's the main event. And for Orozco, look, a lot of potential. A lot of people were looking at him and excited about what he could do. He's kind of let people down. You know, he's had some weight issues. He's had some health issues. If he puts it all together and realizes what he has in front of him here, this is going to be a pretty damn good main event. I think it's going to be fun. Also on this card, Maxim Dadashev, who is a Russian-born fighter who now lives and trains out of Oxnard, California. He is 11-0 with 10 KOs. He's going up. Oh, you know what, guys? I'm sorry. I just forgot. Maxim Dadashev was supposed to fight Antonio DeMarco, but that got pushed to October 20th in Las Vegas. That's probably going to be on the Rio de Morada Rob Brandt card in Las Vegas on October 20th. Dadashev hurt his bicep. He didn't tear it, but he strained it, and he needs, uh, I think, a week off out of the gym. So that pushed that fight off. So that fight is no longer on this card. They have bumped up Jamel Herring. They've made a fight between Jamel Herring, who's a former Marine, the fighting Marine, they call him Jamel Semper Fi Herring, going up against the Filipino fighter, John Vincent Moralde, the 10-round, 130-pound fight. That's been added to the broadcast. Also on this card, Russian, another Russian fighter who now lives and trains in Oxnard, a welterweight prospect, Alexander Vesputin, who is 10-0 with eight knockouts. He is on that card as well. So, um, yeah, so Dadashev DeMarco pushed back about a month but that fight is still happening, so there's some other fights added to this card. All right, let's get to the big one. Saturday, September 15th, T-Mobile Arena, HBO pay-per-view for $84.99. I know a lot of you won't be paying uh, anywhere near that because you'll be finding a stream somewhere online. And you know what? I don't blame you. Some of you might be watching it at a bar, at a movie theater. You're going to have different options. There will be an online pay-per-view stream, I think, on Ring TV. So those of you who don't have HBO and want to order that stream, you can still do so. Before I get to the main event, and, and by the way, I did a, um, a breakdown video, a prediction video, so check that out. And also, I'll say it again, watch my breakdown prediction video from the first fight last year because a lot of the points I make there are still relevant in this rematch. Undercard. Virgil Ortiz Jr., a fighter out of Dallas, 5'10", 20 years old. He's a 140-pounder. He's 10-0. He's fighting. He's probably the best prospect Golden Boy Promotions has right now. They really got high hopes for that kid. Alexis Rocha is a fighter from the L.A. area, 21 years old, 5'10". He's a welterweight. He's 11-0 with eight knockouts. He's fighting on the undercard as well. So I think that those will be streamed for free. You guys will be able to watch those in some of the other undercard bouts before it gets to the pay-per-view. 
On the pay-per-view, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez out of Nicaragua fighting Moises Fuentes out of Mexico. Gonzalez hasn't fought since last September when he got KO'd in four rounds to Srisaketsua Rungbisai. He's had issues getting medical clearance and everything else. We don't know how he's going to look. But I'll say this. Fuentes is coming off a KO1 loss to Daigo Higa back in February in Japan. He has also been KO'd by Kosie Tanaka in Japan in 2016 and Dani Nietes in the Philippines in 2014. So Moises Fuentes is not hard to knock out. So if Roman Gonzalez has rested well, he's healthy, he's anywhere near the form that he was, even for the first rung side bout, he should win this fight, and he should win it fairly decisively. If he does, you might see him fight Juan Francisco Estrada again next March on Superfly 4 in Los Angeles. If he struggles in this fight, he probably needs to retire. And you guys know my opinion. He should have retired after that Rung Vasai knockout. He wants to keep fighting. This is an opponent he should dominate and he should stop if he is anywhere near what he once was. So we'll find out. Boxing always reveals the truth, man. So we'll find out the truth about Chocolatito this Saturday. Also, Jaime Mungia fighting a Canadian fighter out of Ontario, Brandon Cook. This is the second defense of his WBC junior middleweight title. Mungia, of course, is 30-0 with 25 knockouts. He turns 22 years old next month. A lot riding on this kid. People are really excited about him. I told you guys before we need to pump the brakes. We fought Liam Smith. A lot of you were surprised that you know he, he struggled at times with Smith and that went to distance. I wasn't. I totally understood that. He needed those rounds. This fight, however is set up for him to get a big knockout here. Brandon Cook has no business being in a title fight. Cook is being brought in to bleed. They're bringing in a white dude from Canada to get his ass whooped. The only time he's ever fought outside of Canada was in Kazakhstan against Kanat Islam last September. He got dropped multiple times in that fight before being stopped. That's what's going to happen here. Somehow Cook is rated number three by the WBO above Kel Brook, above Irislandi Lara, above Amir Khan. Does Amir Khan even fight at 154? They had Khan rated at 54. Above Liam Smith, who, as I mentioned, just went the distance with Mungia. Even above guys like Tony Harrison, who I think would beat Cook. And, of course, Heard, Charlo, they're not even rated by the WBO because they have other titles. So I don't even think Cook is a top 10 junior middleweight. Mungia should plow through this guy. The fans there are going to eat that shit up. That might be the highlight knockout, you know, highlight reel knockout of the night. In the co-main, David Lemieux, 39-4 with 33 knockouts, turns 30 in December. When you think of David Lemieux, you think probably mid-30s. He just seems like he's been around for so long, yet he's just turning 30 this year. He's going up against Gary Spike O'Sullivan, who's 28-2 with 20 knockouts, 34 years old himself. So, again, you think David Lemieux is the same age as Spike, but he's not. He's younger, and he punches a lot harder. He has 33 knockouts compared to just 20. 
He has a lot more fights, but he definitely punches hard, punches through the target. So what I'm calling this fight right here is the Canelo Alvarez sweepstakes. The winner of this fight gets Canelo Alvarez in his comeback fight. Spoiler alert <laughs> for who I think is going to win the main event. Um, yeah, that's what this is. This is Golden Boy Promotions setting up the comeback fight for Canelo Alvarez when he loses against Gennady Golovkin Saturday. The winner between Lemieux and O'Sullivan will get that fight. So these two dudes should be really, really hungry because if they win this fight, they're going to get some Canelo dollars early next year. Main event. Not going to break it down and talk too much about it. Oh, by the way, the co-main, I do like Lemieux to win that fight. I, I just think he has more levels. If he's in shape and focused, he should beat O'Sullivan. He just should. O'Sullivan has some good wins. He gets a lot out of um, a little in terms of his ability. He gets everything out of his ability. Honest fighter. I just think David Lemieux has more levels. And there's levels to this game, guys. I, I think O'Sullivan is a top 20, top 25 guy. I think David Lemieux is a top 15 guy. So that is what it is. Main event, again, I did a breakdown prediction video. Go watch that shit. All right. And for those of you who don't have YouTube for whatever reason, I loaded that one up, the audio version, to iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud so you can listen to the audio version. So I'm not going to go over the X's and O's too much, but a couple things that I didn't uh, mention in that breakdown video. The officials. The referee is Benji Estevez Jr., who's out of New York. I think he will do a fine job. Not concerned at all about him. The judges. Dave Moretti. He was a judge in the first fight. He scored at 115-113 for Triple G. Now, he is a Vegas judge. He is an establishment judge. He is an elderly man who's been judging forever. I think he's passed his best years. I am concerned about Vegas judges, Nevada judges. And, and Moretti, you know, he was one of Floyd Mayweather's guys. And he's, he's judged, he usually goes with the house guy. He, he, in close swing rounds, he generally favors the house guy. What's interesting is he had the best scorecard in the first fight last September. So the guy I was concerned about, I wasn't as concerned about him as I was about Adelaide Bird, but I was concerned with Moretti. And he turned out to have the best scorecard. So I don't think we have too much to worry about here. Glenn Feldman is out of Connecticut. He's an experienced judge, um, not quite as old as Moretti, but he's an older guy, middle-aged guy. And he generally does a pretty good job. He's had a couple of decisions that I didn't love. Maybe he went too far for one fighter or another, but generally speaking, does a good job. The best judge on this panel is Steve Weisfeld out of New Jersey. He's a young guy. We need more young judges. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be ageist here, uh, but we just do. Some of these judges, guys, they're in their 80s. And I'm sorry, just we need some new blood, okay? Steve Weisfeld is one of the better young championship-level judges we have in American boxing right now. He does a very good job. And there are recent big fights that where there are controversial scorecards that I thought he scored the right way. Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev, the rematch. He had Kovalev ahead 68 to 65 going into the, the final round where the stoppage happened. That was the right score. Kovalev was winning that fight at the time of the stoppage. Vladimir Klitschko and Anthony Joshua. 
he had Klitschko ahead 95 to 93 at the time of the stoppage. That was the correct score. Vladimir Klitschko was beating Anthony Joshua. The other two judges in that fight had atrocious scorecards. Weisfeld scored the fight correctly. Gennady Golovkin and Daniel Jacobs. Weisfeld scored at 115-112 for Gennady Golovkin. Or seven rounds to five, because remember there was a knockdown there. That was the correct score. Now those of you who follow my work, you know that I was ring, or not ringside, I was in the arena that night. And live, I scored that fight for Daniel Jacobs by one point. I scored at 7-5 for Jacobs at the fight. But my view was obstructed. There was an obstructed view where they stuck us. They, they handled the media situation very poorly for that fight to squeeze some more people down by the ring. And I was moved over to a corner. We, we all were. I mean, some of the media people left. I think, like, Michael Woods left. There were people who, like, halfway through the main event, left the fight. They were so upset about the way we were handled, uh, treated. But my view is obstructed, and I couldn't see all the action very clearly. I've watched that fight four or five times now, and Gennady Golovkin clearly beat Daniel Jacobs. Much like some of the other fights I talked about earlier in this episode, Jacobs kind of gave that fight away. The knockdown was the big difference. But he had moments, but he, he Triple G just completely outworked him, outjabbed him, won that fight on the jab. 115-112 was the correct score there. Even Dennis Shafikov, Richard Comey, Weisfeld scored that 115-113 for Shafikov. That was the right score. I bring that fight up because Adelaide Bird scored that fight 116-112 for Richard Comey. <laughs> She is just a terrible judge, terrible, terrible judge. I just horrible. So there's just a few examples of Steve Weisfeld scoring some close, uh, controversial, controversially scored fights that I think he got the right way. I think he's a very good judge, and I'm very happy he's a part of this one. I look for him to have a good, honest scorecard, and I think... I think two judges will score this fight very accurately, and I think one judge will go a little too wide. But I think that Gennady Golovkin is going to win this fight by decision. That is my prediction. What does the winner do? I think that will be Gennady. He's got crazy options, right? You've got Daniel Jacobs and Sergei Derevyanchenko fighting for a title. You've got Billy Joe Saunders. He's defending his title against Demetrius Andrade. You've got Ryoto Morata, talked about him earlier. He's got a piece of the WBA title. He's fighting Rob Brandt. So even the loser of this fight, which I believe will be Canelo Alvarez, he's got crazy options. His first comeback fight will be David Lemieux, who I think is going to beat uh, Gary O'Sullivan. But then he can go after the Saunders-Andre winner. He can go after the Jacobs-Derevyanchenko winner. If you're Golovkin... Obviously, you can go for all those guys. And he's got mandatories to worry about as well if he wins. He's got Charlo to worry about and, and all that. So both of these guys, as long as they put on a good show and it's a competitive fight and they fight hard, win, lose, or draw, they've got crazy options after this. I do think the ship has sailed, though, with Canelo Golovkin. I think that regardless of what we get in the ring Saturday, these two guys need to go a different direction in their next fight. We need to see them fight somebody else. The loser of the fight 
can go after one of those other titles I talked about, or hell, maybe two of those other titles, because now there's two of them. And then maybe, just maybe, we can get a third fight between these two a year or so from now. Don't rule out that possibility, guys. We've seen it in boxing a million times. But if they put on a fight of the year Saturday, okay, maybe we get the third one uh, next May, around Cinco de Mayo. That makes sense. Anything short of that, though, I think they're going a different direction next, and they got plenty of directions to go. All right, guys, that's it. Let me know what you think. Comment below, like, share, subscribe. Remember your fee for this episode. Get one of your peeps to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I don't care if they're a boxing fan or not. Just tell them to do it. <laughs> and for those of you who are going to be in Las Vegas, I'll see you guys there. And for those of you who can't make it, just pay attention to my channel because I'm going to be posting stuff all week. And like I said, I want to try to do a live YouTube live immediate reaction video from the media center there in Vegas. I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to try to set that up, guys. All right. That's it for episode 138. I'll see you at the fights.